It is good to be back with you today. Um, I trust that you benefited from having guest speakers here the last couple of weeks as we took some time off. And um, whether you benefited or not, I benefited from uh, having some time off. It was great to uh, to step away for a little bit and just kind of decompress and and kind of reset. As we move into the month of December, though, we are going to be turning our attention to the birth of Christ, of course. Um, it is that season, as you probably have noticed, uh, with all the Christmas music and everything else. And we're going to focus on the birth of Christ. We're not going to focus, we're not going to do Advent per se. Okay, we're not going to do the, the candles and the, the specified readings and so forth. Uh, but what I do want us to do is I want us to even now begin to prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of Christ. Our text today is going to be found in the Gospel of Luke, so if you have your Bible... Turn to Luke chapter 1, if you would. We're going to pick up in verse uh, 26 in just a moment. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. And today we're going to look at the perplexity of Jesus' birth. The perplexity of His birth. Now, if you're familiar with the, the, the accounts of Jesus' birth, you know that He did not have an ordinary birth in any stretch of the imagination. He was not uh, born in a, a nice place. He, uh, there were all kinds of things that were unique and special about His birth. One of those things we're going to look at today, we're going to look at the angel Gabriel's announcement to Mary that she would bear the Messiah. So I know you just got to sit down, but if you would, uh, in honor of God's Word, go ahead and stand with me. We're going to pick up, like I said, Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord, his God, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David." And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord may be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> now the first thing I want you to see in our text is a perplexing salutation. A perplexing salutation. Now where we pick up in, in our, our text, you remember that, um, that there was an aged priest named Zacharias and he had a wife named Elizabeth. She was old as well. And uh, unfortunately, the Bible says that she was barren. That means she couldn't have kids. And so they went their whole lives, their whole married lives, without having any children. And they desperately wanted some. And Zacharias is in the, is in the temple offering up incense. And, and, and he's, he's getting to be near the holy place, uh, the, the, near the holy of holies. And God sends a messenger. He sends Gabriel the angel to tell him, you and Elizabeth will have a son. Now, six months later... The same angel, Gabriel, goes to Mary and promises that she too will have a son. Now, if you'll notice, it says that, uh, now, now just to back up, Zacharias and, and Elizabeth, they were in Jerusalem. But the setting in this place is a little bit different. If you'll notice what it says, it says that the angel, verse 26, the angel came in to a, a town of Nazareth. Now, to us, Nazareth doesn't mean a whole lot. 
I mean, we, we know the name Nazareth because the Bible talks about Jesus doing some miracles there, talks about him teaching there, and, and the, the people of the, of the city reign him out of the synagogue. We read about him being raised there. But apart from that, we don't know really anything about Nazareth. And part of the reason is because we're not too familiar with cities in the ancient Near East, but part of the reason is because Nazareth was a no-name town. It was an unimportant place. There was nothing spectacular about Nazareth. Now, some of us, if you're a nerd like our family is, especially the, the people who drive in our family, sometimes you go places that are insignificant just because they have something weird there. Like, did you know that in, uh, was it Collinsville? They have the world's biggest ketchup bottle. Of all things, why a ketchup bottle? I don't know, but that's what they have. So guess what we did? We stopped and we saw the world's biggest ketchup bottle. Maybe you've been to a place where they have the world's biggest rocking chair, the world's biggest ball of string. I mean, there are all kinds of little holes in the road that that have something that they try to to, to make themselves significant. One time we were <coughs> we were driving down the interstate, and we kept seeing this sign at Marshfield that said they had a, a replica of the Hubble ta- the Hubble Space Telescope. Has anybody ever stopped and seen that? We have. We stopped because we've been by a bunch of times and we thought, well, we'll just stop. We've never seen that before. And we stopped at Marshfield, the place where they're advertising they have it, and we didn't know where it was, so we stopped and asked somebody that lived there, and they said they didn't even know they had it. We finally did find it. It wasn't really, I see why they didn't know. It, it was not that great. But Nazareth didn't even have a big old ball of string. They didn't have a big rocking chair. They didn't have a big bottle of ketchup. They didn't have anything. They were a no-name place. There was nothing significant about Nazareth. Now, scholars estimate there at this time there were probably about 1,600 to 2,000 people that lived in Nazareth, not exactly a metropolis. They were not a fishing village. There was nothing unique about the place, not a huge population. It was not a place of culture. And, in fact, it was so unimportant that the whole Old Testament doesn't mention it even once. The, the Talmud, which was a very important Jewish writing, it does not mention uh, Nazareth. And Josephus, the ancient historian, he mentioned over 200 cities and towns in Galilee, never mentions Nazareth. I mean, this place was a hole in the road. It, 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 was, a, it, was, a, it, it was no place. And Mary was a nobody. Yes, we know she was chaste and she was pure, she loved the Lord, but she was probably you know, 13, 15 years old. She'd done nothing significant with her life. She was just going about her daily life doing her thing. She was not in the who's who of Galilee's high school students. I mean, she was nobody. She was a no-name person that lived in a no-name town. And all of a sudden, verse 28, the angel shows up and gives her this strange greeting. Now, the Vulgate, the, the, the Latin translation of the New Testament, or of the Bible, has a pretty unfortunate translation here. It renders this, Hail Mary, full of grace. Now listen, Gabriel is not saying that Mary is some sort of sinless person. Mary is not on par with Jesus. Mary is not a co-redemptrix with Christ. She had a, a sin problem, same as you and I have. She needed a Savior. And so he pronounces this blessing. He's, he's saying that you are blessed among women, not because of some merit or value that's inherent in her, but because God had chosen her to bear the Messiah. That is a blessing. That is an honor. Now I want you to put yourself in her place. Imagine that you're just a nobody. And I can look out at you guys, and no offense, but we're all a bunch of nobodies in this place, right? None of us are, are, are 
in the news. None of us are, are the who's who. If, if you go to another town, most likely none of them know us. You know, if, if, you, go, if you go across the state and say, hey, you know, you, you know that old Jeff Braddock? He's a pretty good fella, isn't he? They're going to say, who? Nobody knows us. We're nobodies. And so we can kind of identify with Mary. So imagine that you're a nobody. You're in no name. You live in an insignificant place. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord shows up and pronounces this blessing on you. That God would, be, would, would care, would notice specifically you. And not just notice you, but he would grant this amazing privilege to you. And no wonder, verse 29, it says that she was very perplexed at this salutation, at this statement. Now, the word translated as perplexed has the idea of being greatly agitated. It set her, it set her on edge. She, she didn't know what to make of it. Now, I just want to pause here and say that you may feel like a nobody. And again, I'm not trying to be offensive, but, but in many ways, you kind of are. Because we're not, we're, not the, we're not the who's who. We're not the upper crust in this place. We're just normal people. And listen, you may feel like you're so ordinary that you're not even on God's radar. But you are. The psalmist says in, in Psalm 8, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Listen, God doesn't just take thought of humanity. He doesn't, doesn't just take care of humanity as a whole, as this mass. But he cares individually about you. He is, he is, in, he, he is involved in your life. He is concerned about what's going on in your life. And, and again, it's not just that, that, that God is caring about humanity, but he is thinking of you, this no-name person in a no-name place. Those are the types of people that God delights to work in their lives. Those are the types of people that God delights to work with and in. So, so, so Mary gets this perplexing salutation. Second, I want you to see God's promises satisfied. God's promises satisfied. Now look at, look at the angel's words again. Now on their surface, we read them and we say, well, that's pretty amazing. But we may not catch what all is being said. We, we may not really think about all that, that, that is in this passage. Now, the Old Testament, many passages in the Old Testament ring and echo and reverberate all throughout these verses that, uh, that, that the angel says. And I want to read just a few passages from the Old Testament. You might jot them down to, to look at another time if you want. But I'll give you the references. I'll tell you what it says. And I want you to, to listen to those. And then we will reread what the angel says. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Second Samuel 7.16, God speaking to David, making what's called the Davidic covenant. says, Your house and your kingdom, speaking of David, shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And one last passage, Daniel 2, verse 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. 
and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, for it itself, it will itself endure forever. So keep those in your mind. Just keep, keep them in the, in the backdrop of your mind and reread with me verses 31 to 33. Look at what he says. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, which means God saves, Jehovah saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Do you hear all that? All these passages from the Old Testament, and there there are more that could have been brought in. All these passages, all these promises point to the Messiah. In all these passages, these promises, these prophecies, they all point to, they foretell the coming of Messiah. They're all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Now, before we move on to, to the last point, I want you to just think about what Gabriel's saying. He's saying that Jesus will be born of a virgin. He, he's not going to have a natural father. It's going to be a miraculous birth. There's going to be something special about the way that Jesus comes onto the scene. Now, I know that we live in an enlightened scientific age. We live in, in an age where, where, where the incredibly intelligent people in academia have become so advanced in their knowledge and understanding of human biology that they believe that a boy can become a girl and a girl can become a boy and boys can have babies and nurse children. Wow! And in this enlightened age, they're going to look at this and they'll say, oh, that's a bunch of foolishness. You don't need to believe that. That, that, didn't, that didn't really happen. Now listen, there are people that will scoff at the idea, but people's acceptance of it doesn't determine whether or not it's true. Jesus was born of a virgin. It was a miraculous birth. And he goes on to say that he will be the son of the Most High. Now this, this title, this name for God, the Most High, we don't see it in the New Testament hardly ever. We see it in the Old Testament several times. But the word that's translated as Most High is the word Elyon. And if you if you come to some of our, our says that we've done on Sunday or on Wednesday nights about the names of God, Elyon is one of the names of God. He says that Jesus will be the Son of God. He was more than just a man. He was God incarnate. And we see this also in the, the terminology that's used because in Semitic in the Semitic mind, in, in the culture in which Jesus lived, to call somebody the son of somebody meant more than just saying, this person is your father. This person is your mother. In common language, we would say, it would have the idea of saying, this person is the carbon copy of somebody. This person has the, the characteristics of somebody. And so, for instance, in Psalm 89, 22, it says, the enemy will not deceive him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. Now, when it calls him the son of, a person the son of wickedness, he's not saying that wickedness is his father. He's saying that person's wicked. He has the characteristics of wickedness. And so in, in, this, in this passage, he says that this, this baby that will be born, Jesus, is going to be the son of the Most High. He's going to have the characteristics of the Most High God. Why? Because Jesus is God incarnate. So we have the promises fulfilled, the promises satisfied. Finally, I want you to see a problematic statement. Look at verse 34. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? Mary clearly understands what's going on. It's going to be a supernatural work, and it's going to happen in her unmarried state. And so she asked the logical question, how's that going to happen? Because that's not how biology works. Babies have to have uh, two 
to, to, to make that life occur. And so he answers in verse 35, and he says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the, Spirit, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now there's an allusion here to the first chapter of the Bible, because what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the, the earth was formless and, without, and, 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 and void. And what does it say about the Spirit? The Spirit was hovering over, was brooding over the deep, brooding, brooding over the waters. Here's an allusion to, to, this, to this creative in enlivening activity of the Holy Spirit. And, and he says that the Holy Spirit, the one who brings about life, is going to bring about a miraculous life in the womb of Mary. <clears throat> now there are some cults, some false religions who teach, and, and some who wrongly claim that, that the Christians believe and teach that Jesus is the, uh, is the offspring of, of a, a union between God and, and, and Mary, that there's some kind of sexual activity, and Jesus is the result. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Christians believe. God, through a miraculous creative act, made a, 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 a physical body for Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says this very thing. Or, sorry, ch- chapter 10, verse 5, not 25. It says, Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice an offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In Christ, we have two distinct natures, one that's truly human, one that's truly d- d- divine. They're, they're, not, they're not mixed. They're, 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 not, uh, they're not all swirled up. He is the theanthropos. He is the God-man. He is Emmanuel, God with us. What did we read just a little bit ago in our responsive reading? John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is not the product of a union between God and Mary. He is God incarnate. And then as an encouragement to her faith, if you notice what he says at, at the end of our passage, he gives a sign. He says, Gabriel, or Gabriel says, Elizabeth, your, your, your old relative, has, who's been barren, couldn't have kids all these years naturally, God is going to supernaturally, or has supernaturally enabled her to have a child. Going to have John the Baptist. And upon hearing this, what does he say, or what does she say, verse 37? He says, nothing will be impossible with God. She submits herself to the Lord's will. She says, I'm the bond slave of the Lord. Do to me according to your word. Now listen, Jesus was an amazing man. He did amazing things, and he had an amazing birth. He was born of a virgin. You don't have to be scandalized by that. You don't have to be ashamed of the Bible's teaching of that. It is the way it is. And again, it's an incredible claim, but that doesn't mean it's not true. What would you expect somebody who is supernatural to have happen? How, how, how would you expect them to come into the world? He was born of a virgin, uncorrupted by sin. But we, on the other hand, aren't in that situation. We are sinners. Jesus is sinless. We are sinful. By nature, by deed, and there's nothing we can do to fix it. And that's really the whole point of Christmas. That's the whole reason we sang a Christmas song, several Christmas songs, and then we sang about the blood of Christ. It's not, it's not the lights. It's not about the get-togethers. It's not about the family time. Those things all have their place, and they're all special. They're all meaningful. But listen, it's not, Christmas is not even about the gifts we may receive. It's about the, gifts, the gift that God gave us at Bethlehem. It's about Jesus Christ. Again, those things have their place, but we must not lose sight of the fact that 
that Christmas is because Jesus came as God's gift to us. He offers the free gift of salvation. That any who would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. That's what, that's what Paul says in Romans 6. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. And it may be that, that even today, it could be that you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And if that's you, if that's the case, the Bible says that you stand condemned already because you've not believed on the only Son of God. But that today, if you have put your faith in Him, you will be saved. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I, I just, I want to encourage you to remember the real reason we celebrate. Again, it's not, it's not because we like getting together. It's not because we like family drama. It's not because any of those things. It's not because we like seeing people open presents and all, all that. The reason we celebrate, the reason we do all those things is because God gave us the perfect gift of Jesus Christ. There may be somebody even today who is on your heart, a friend, a loved one, who's got some situation that is a concern. Do you bring that to the Lord? Maybe their salvation is a concern to you. They're not saved and you know it. Lift them up. Our Heavenly Father, thank you God that you have made a way when we can't do it ourselves we we can't earn our way to heaven all we can do is trust in Christ that's the only hope that we have and thank you that you provided that way for us to be made right with you and Lord I pray that even now if there's somebody here who's never accepted Christ as their Savior you'd help them recognize their sin let them turn from it and turn to you in faith. God, for those people that we have in our lives that we care about, they're not where they need to be with God. Maybe they're not saved. We pray for them. We lift them up. We pray that you would help them, that you would draw them, and ultimately that you would save them. God, we thank you for this season when we can focus on what really matters. In Jesus' name, amen.